After several years of being a bishop, I've begun to see patterns of what people want to talk about when they talk about their congregations with me. If, for example, there's a new priest in place, in the excitement of the moment, I usually hear something similar to the following, our prayers have been answered. <laughs> Such was the case yesterday in Little Rock at the ordination of five new priests. But I'm wondering what we truly think about prayer if, on the other hand, after several years of that priest being present and things not going well or perhaps going disastrously, and Greg, may it never happen to you, <laughs> what I'm more likely to hear is something along the lines of, why did you let him come here in the first place? <laughs> I am not going to tell you what my prayer is when I hear that comment. Prayer, it seems, is a rather strange thing. From what I am hearing, through prayer, God does good things for congregations. And in the absence of prayer, bishops do bad things. The bishop is always to blame. And that's why this job comes with tenure. As tangential as it might seem on the surface, today's gospel is actually about prayer. The petition that James and John use Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That's a prayer. In the lesson, James and John, part of Jesus in his inner circle, come to him with the prayer similar to that of every child who's uttered a prayer when he or she has seen something that that person wants or that we of adults have uttered before job interviews or that spouses or children have prayed in the hallway of a hospital. God, we want you to do something. In the case of James and John, the request is to sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand when the government is overthrown and Jesus takes control. They were certain that a new kingdom was coming and they wanted to be on the inside. The prayers of those two disciples may not have involved going to a church and getting down on one's knees. And it may not have been the panicked utterance when a teenage child is yet to come home at 3 a.m. But those guys are praying just the same. As you might surmise from your own prayer life, and as I will say, I can surmise from my prayer life, what Jesus can do for James and John, and what Jesus by implication can do for us, is rarely what we desire when the prayer is uttered. So what happens when we don't get what we want? Or when there's no bishop to blame? Do we feel that God doesn't like us? Or that we're not good enough? Or that we don't know how to pray? Or perhaps scariest of all, that we've not yet learned how to game the system? I'm amazed, for example, that entire prosperity gospel phenomenon. If you don't get rich, it's because you're a failure. So what happens when we don't get what we pray for? Now if that's where you find yourself, don't worry, you're in such good company. I find myself there more often than I would like to admit. If you've ever felt that you were on the wrong track when praying, look no further than James and John from today's Gospel lesson. The lesson contains their clumsy attempt to pray the sort of prayer that so many of us were brought up to pray. But then it contains the next thing, which is the most important thing. See, 
unlike the disciples who are looking for a military or political upheaval, Jesus understands that the kingdom of God is not a worldly kingdom in which a ruler can dispense favors and use armies and money to control things. But rather, God's kingdom is about new ways of seeing the situations that we have been given and over which we have no control. Jesus turns the tables on his petitioners as is so often the case when people ask him questions. He then questions them if they are able to do what needs to be done. It's sort of like God asking something of us in prayer instead of the reverse. Jesus asked a couple of very hard questions and because the gospel writer thought it important enough to record those words 40 years after Jesus' death, the questions are directed to us as well. And they are, can we drink the cup? And that's just simply a time-honored way of asking if we can endure woe and suffering. Will we be baptized? It's a deep and profoundly theological way of asking if we're willing to die to whatever it is that we might be holding on to. Dare to answer yes and we'll be changed. You see, ultimately, to pray is simply to ask to be changed. What ultimately happened to those disciples was so different from what they asked for early on at this stage in Jesus' ministry. Later on, James and John and Peter and the women at the tomb and the other disciples, well, they managed to get through the awful experience of what happened to Jesus, not by stopping the death itself, but by discovering something changed about themselves in the midst of that death. They find themselves resurrected as members of the body of Christ, as Paul would explain later in his ministry. They find themselves, right now, smack dab in the middle of the kingdom. And that's where their experience can translate into ours as well. We go to God asking for whatever it is that's going to make life different for us. Perhaps it's for more fun or a spouse or more prosperity. And the answer we get is that God is not in the business of changing the world. But instead God calls on us to change how we see ourselves and how we see the world. It's why Jesus can talk in this gospel lesson about becoming a servant. Servants don't control the world and God won't control it for our benefit. Ouch, I have to say on some occasions. I remember all those prayers that I have prayed for God to do something for me. Prayer, however, is not a, is not a request to change the world back into the Garden of Eden, but an opportunity to learn how to be changed in the midst of a fallen creation. Act as servants. Act as someone ready and willing to die to whatever it is that's holding us back from loving completely. That's hard to do and it's why we spend a lifetime in church. Sometimes we get it. Sometimes we understand that prayer is indeed a response to God. And when we get it, our lives do become prayers and words aren't necessary. At that point, to serve is to pray. To live lovingly is to pray. To live without fear is to pray. Those are all responses to ultimate goodness. What God does for us, indeed, all that perfect goodness does for us is to show us how to live.
That's why we rehearse the passion of Jesus each week in our liturgy. To be shown how to live may not be what we're asking for when we started to pray. When we come to church, we will continue to get something other than what we want from the experience. Just as James and John ultimately got something very different from what they originally asked for. It's why we have to be in church week after week. We gradually learn to die to whatever it is that's holding us back from becoming wholesome people. It's a lesson that begins in baptism and it ends, well, it ends with a burial office. Through our rehearsal every week of the story of Jesus, we find that real life comes through our own deaths to greed and pride and self-interest and a thousand other human predilections. Resurrection follows death. It's not a substitute for it. If we learn that truth, then the answer to our prayers will be far different from what we once imagined. And we'll understand a little bit more about the kingdom in our midst. Amen.